0: Welcome to The Great Security Debate. This show has experts taking sides to help broaden understanding of a topic. Therefore, it's safe to say that the views expressed are not necessarily those of the people we work with or for. Heck, they may not even represent our own views as we take a position for the sake of the debate. Our website is greatsecuritydebate.net, and you can contact us via email at feedback at greatsecuritydebate.net, or on twitter at security debate now let's join the debate already in progress yeah it's something good to, uh, I, i'm learning more but i i can't speak reasonably about it other than why are they charging 18 bucks for car seat eaters um <laughs> same thing why are you charging me for this feature in your stupid product just make it all one an sso is not a enterprise feature <clears throat> um <laughs> But we can get into those refrains.
1: <laughs> see, I'm on the side with you, though, on that, Dan, when it comes to SaaS products. with So somebody had tagged me in, the, in one of the million posts about BMW charging subscriptions. And they and it was Murtada actually. And he was like, Brian, your thoughts, right? And I've had this conversation with a lot of people. And what's crazy is I actually worked in seeding for like five years, four years. For one, if you can reduce down the complexity in the assembly, meaning instead of having, like in seating, you could have a four-way, a six-way, an eight-way, a 12-way seat, right? And people are like, well, what does that mean? That's just the directions that the seat will move. So that's the number of motors that are attached. Motors are not cheap, right? right? That comes with additional wiring as well. Wiring is not cheap. That also comes with an ECU, the electronic control unit that has more programming, inside of it. But now let's say you could just have one standard ECU, right? And maybe you're just going to go ahead and say, okay, we're not going to charge for six-way and then an upgrade for eight-way or 12-way. We're just going to make sure that every vehicle that has a 12-way seat has the option for heated seating, lumbar, and some of these other things. So yes, the seat itself would end up costing more, but now you're creating revenue subscriptions, but you're reducing down the complexity. And for somebody that says, I live in Florida, I would never use a heated seat, but I want the 12-way, great. You don't have to pay for the heat. But for someone in Michigan, right, or Canada, or, you know, name name somewhere in the north that would want a heated seat, maybe you get it just for that one time period. But if you're going to keep the vehicle for five years for 400 bucks, that's what you'd be paying for
0: anyways today. But you're still paying for the hardware. This goes back to the OnStar, like we were talking about earlier, that OnStar problem. Don't put the damn OnStar in my car. I don't want it. Don't pay. For, you're still paying for the hardware and it's still built into the MSRP of the car. Period. Yes, there's a subscription on top of it. If I don't want the hardware, take the hardware out. Or here's the whole car. But there's the, so the everything and you get it all. It's a single price.
1: But here's the difference, though, when it comes to the seating and some of the other functionality. If the software can be built into the ECU, the electronic control unit, each seat has its own ECU, right? So if the hardware is already there and you're just adding additional logic to turn on or off something that's in there, and there is hardware in terms of a finished good that sits in there, that's the heating element. But if you reduce down the complexity in the assembly line, meaning if, if you're building 10 different seats and seating is true JIT just in time. Meaning within 30 minutes of that seat being built, it's going into a vehicle, typically. And it's normally a two-hour window total, right? Because otherwise so like,
0: it gets smelly like meat? Or... <laughs> <laughs> you don't use it within two hours. The seat spoils. really starts to smell. <laughs> no, no,
1: that's more along the basis of they're building the vehicles, right? This vehicle is red paint, blah, 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 with this trim line, and it's going to get this seat. Those seats are being built within literally 15 minutes of the assembly plant, 30 minutes of the assembly plant, and within two hours, that finished good is coming into the vehicle. It's not like yeah. an Eric, take American Axle for example, or some of the other autos where you're producing a forging or some type of casting or you know some type of stamp part. You may produce those days in advance, right? Like right. 48 hours, et cetera. Um, the lead times are different. So what makes that important is if you can take out the complexity and the assembly so that you don't have 10 different variations of seats, you reduce the number of problems that you're going to have in terms of assembly, quality production control, so that you're able to help out the OE, which would be, you know, in this case, BMW. So where I was going with that is somebody made the comment of, well, can I subscribe to power steering? No, that's a little bit different, right? Why? But
0: but why? Why is it different?
1: Because the finished good itself, the rack and pinion that goes into the car, the manual one is very different. But than- well, let's yeah. take
0: the stupidity one level further and say, why not put in both? And then you enable the one thats that they've subscribed to. So we've created this Uber car that has all the features and all the combinations and you buy the things. So now you're paying four times as much for the physical crap. <laughs> I feel but, like there's but, like a
2: narrator voice that's got to come overhead though. We've just entered stupidity
0: level. Yeah. You know, this, those, those, those,
1: those are like the, the conversations, arguments people get in with me. I'm like, have you ever taken a manual steering out of a like the actual part out of a car and looked at the power one? The design is entirely different, meaning yeah. that there's several different assemblies further down, if you want to talk, call it stack tolerances, that if you get a manual steering column and I don't think I'm giving anything away to the, the, secrets. the makeup, they're like 20 bucks right oh. a power steering column well, is that like means that means the option should
0: cost at least four thousand dollars
1: right like <laughs> the, the 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 power steering column the number of additional components so from assembly standpoint to to make one that just turns into a manual doesn't actually work that way from a from a mechanical functionality standpoint and this is where i was going in my my reply back to people seating was one of those things where you couldn't I mean, you could have, I guess, where you turn on a four-way, six-way, or eight way, but if you already have the motors in there, motors are really expensive. It goes back to the power steering. The only services that you can turn on would really be the heating element or a lumbar element, right? All the other stuff would already have to come packaged into it from a mechanical standpoint. But this gets back to what we were talking about about SaaS. It's software. If there's things that you can turn on from a software standpoint that enhance the user's experience, and this goes back to touch feel smell right when you're inside the vehicle so if you can turn on say additional new
0: car smell i will buy that subscription
1: (laughs) that's actually something somebody's probably never thought of right like set the mood we know he's headed to dinner new car smell no we're going for the love
2: smell that's great that's great now i'm gonna now my chevy app i'm gonna get an alert that you need to recharge your smells on your car Oh god so, but anyhow this goes back to the
1: when you when we look at the business that we're in uh or i say we're on the security side but on my side you know on the sales side you look at the software all let's say eric on endpoint you have an agent okay let's say or or a sensor right that lives on the computer to add additional functionality okay am i loading up another agent or are you turning on functionality if, if the software is already built and you're turning on the functionality what was it to do so, right? Like it, you're, you don't have capital investment, right? right? Beyond the people that you've hired, which is a fixed cost and overhead. So if, if all these companies keep going out and saying, oh yeah, we just had a banner year, right? Like we did a 250% increase in revenue and sales the last year, but then you look at the headcount for the last year and you only increased 30, 40% headcount. Well, that means your overall cost should have gone down because it's a fixed cost, like, Yes, you had well, a beautiful process.
0: margin of software and uh, all this, this whole conversation just makes me very happy I'm in the software world and not in the physical world when it comes to some of this stuff. I mean, you're right, you're, you're, you're absolutely right that, you know, the, bet, the more you put it in software, it, there's no physical thing to buy, there's no, um, I guess the fact that you'd invest in something that's in the car that isn't used. I mean, I'm going through this in my car right now, it has all of these capabilities that I could buy. Am I gonna buy it? Absolutely. Well, actually, no. That's not true. It has one capability I can buy: the full self-driving. It's the computer for it's in the car. I'm kind of iffy on why it's in the car at all. Same reason. I'd rather you just you know charge me a thousand bucks less and not put it in the car. But um, but you could buy that software subscription two hundred dollars a month or you know twelve thousand dollars for life. But uh, but I've not done it. It's not it's not something I want to do. Um, I, I kind of like, but I but at the same time, the car also has. Very few other options. The chances are you, you have your options as of right are, now. What's that?
2: As of right now.
0: Right. But I'm saying I like that it's not all this nickel and dime crap. Nickel and dime. And I think I feel the same way. I mean, this goes back to buying Checkpoint, right? Yeah. Nickel and dime. Everything's a line item. Everything's a, uh, everything's, a, oh, you, oh, you want provider one? Oh, that's this. Oh, you want this? That's another thing between, you know.
2: But you know, it's heading that way. I mean, if you look at the, the big, oh, th- yeah, but they're not big mean th- I mean, th- like I right? it. Yeah, the Detroit 3 right now have now split out part of their organization that you have individuals that are in charge about just creating additional software-based revenue within yeah. the vehicle which well, means yeah. we are heading to a whole new level of options.
0: I'm and I'm moving to a place with mass transit and bicycles. Yeah. <laughs> all (laughs) all it does is drive me away from wanting to use a car does Um, does it have
1: to be mass transit though Dan could it just be bicycles because there's a beautiful place in Michigan called Mackinac Island I was just there are no (laughs) I mean Um, the the variation between horse well significant is not that easily obtainable to the
0: human eye well but but now now you've got a different problem up there the e-bikes have taken over (laughs) they have and it's now treacherous to walk around Um, No, for me, I want a city and I want, I want, I think mass transit is key to our overall transit success um, because, well. So, but mass
1: transit and I, not to take this a step further, mass transit could be still vehicles, right? In terms of the ability now to put a thousand vehicles, like when I say mass transit,
0: so you're referring to trains. I'm referring to yeah subway's buses places where more than one person can leverage the same vehicle at the same time so that you're not creating extra usage of energy people resources space etc so um, if
1: you had specific autonomous highways you actually could achieve level 4 I still don't believe in our lifetime level 5 but level 4 autonomy where if you use your car in a ride-sharing program, the car itself could just get on to the highway, and literally, it would be like trains where they're literally getting in line. That's a lot of it's essentially
2: platooning at that point.
0: Yeah, yeah. and it would technically baitsum, be mass. It would it, technically be mass transit. If my booby had him, she'd be my Sadie. If my grandmother had balls, she'd be my grandfather. The good old Yiddish saying. It's a lot of f's. <laughs> um is that making the recording That's oh yeah makes- are, are we actually yeah. recording the episode now or are we just talking yeah, i don't that know is, i'm just talking <laughs> that, that <laughs> is definitely part of it um but so no, go, go, back the, go back to the go back to
1: the subscription side though because so you you brought up a great point but still one that falls into the idea that if you if you already own the hardware all right the hardware is in your vehicle meaning you're always going to have ECUs, electronic control units. So it's just a matter of software updates. So I was looking at the new Hummer and not personally looking at it to buy, but looking at it because a friend of mine owns one. And they just got that, that height feature added. And he just went into the dealership, they plugged in, and now he's got this new feature, which raises the vehicle up. Like literally, it looked like almost a foot, right? And I was pretty impressed with that, right? Because the software is just an update or just adding in more logic to an existing bit of hardware that's already in the vehicle. Um, But I think-
0: Was he he juiced for 15 bucks a month
1: for it too? I should ask him because he didn't publicly come out and say that. It was another feature that they, I think, said this is coming down the road, right? Okay.
0: But now going one step further- That's different though. Additional capabilities that are part of new ways to use existing hardware, go for it. But I think what they're doing is, this is my opinion, they're using
1: this as examples to get, because it's a low volume car right now. I mean, there's not many people that own that new electric Hummer, right? So as they able to offer the features and people come in and turn them on, and then they're able to get the feedback from the consumer will allow them to decide in the future what things they actually charge a subscription. And the reason they're doing this, and this comes directly from Wall Street and has to do with, at the end, boards, Wall Street, what your value is
0: mm-hmm. and what generation, have you done for me this quarter
1: <laughs> yeah or future value right all these SaaS companies that keep coming up with more and more subscriptions the street likes that because they're like oh look at they offer 1000 different SKUs. and they're going to have another 200 next next year or next quarter and the more SKUs you have if they're already making x percent on these then they should be making x percent on those the logic to it is not there Because as you add additional functionality onto your product, it's not like one plus one is two, right? It doesn't
2: grow in a linear fashion.
1: Right. Like these additional functions are marginal cost increases
0: or should be to what you originally paid for. But let's talk about what happens when, let's take this out of the, the hardware and even the security tech software. And let's look at it where we are in the consumer world right now. There is this revolt against too many damn subscriptions. People are getting subscription fatigue between the Netflix and all the various services with pluses at the end of their name Um, and, and, and others. There just is too much and people are shedding those services. But on the flip side, all of these services think that creating an ad supported tier that reduces the price will increase their subscribership and increase their revenue. So once again, we're in a race to the bottom on 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 price at the cost of. Uh, I guess I'm going to take it to data and privacy uh, at the cost of of exposing people to more ads and more collection of data. And it's um it's an unfortunate, but I think it's I, I fear we're going to take the same path in the car. We're going to take the same path in the uh, in the security tech. And I'm not trying to give ideas to any security providers, but, you know, oh, well, well, you can't afford our software. Well, if you feed back this data into us about, you know, this additional telemetry, we'll reduce your costs by 20%. Um, you know, things like that, that will, that will try to offset the subscription fatigue. Uh, but there's, I don't know, there's this, the fact that security is such a requirement to do business today the barriers to entry are larger and larger i was on a panel yesterday uh, with at a compliance conference and we were talking about um the convergence of security and compliance and the barriers to entry for any company that wants to do business now is so large from a security and compliance and third-party risk perspective Um, and we've talked about it here where you have third parties that can't do that they're just small two people that make you know this great break manifold and that's the only thing they do but they do it really really well and they're the only ones in the world to do it um but they don't have the way to be that to do that security how do you get them involved how do you get them up to speed but taking away features or making security something that is only for those that can afford it I think does a huge disservice. I think the same thing for, you know, for some of the features in cars and for the additional, you know, if, if you can't afford it, you have to give up your data and use a smart TV, you know, things like that. It's just, oh, we are creating subscriptions. I, I see, if I look at my strategy mind, I see down the road, the race back to the bottom and the trade-off for those that can't afford it, but still need the whatever, the, the key fob or the seat heat. All right, we'll give you the key fob. But we're going to need you to turn on this additional telemetry or this additional data collection or this additional, um, you know, revenue source for us that is passive revenue to you. But I, I, I just don't I don't like where it's all heading.
2: It's interesting. You're essentially trading off privacy for cost savings. Welcome and to welcome
0: it? to 1999, Eric. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's just I, I see it. I see it. I see the path again. And as you get more subscriptions, you then get more ways to then say, Well, let's take this subscription cost away from you.
2: Well, and then you add data
0: is still the oil, data is still the new oil.
2: And then if you add in kind of the socioeconomic status of the individuals that are buying it, then you have to ask yourself the question: is it really an option at that point? Right. It's not. You're forcing somebody into a corner knowing full well that they can't afford the upper band of it, so they have to give you the data.
0: Absolutely. And the data I'd argue is more valuable. That dollar wise valuable then not why do you think you don't see a lot of ads or a lot of pushing of youtube premium ad free option twelve dollars a month guess what it's delightful to watch stuff on that guess what most people can't or won't afford that
1: you you make a really would you consider housing rent if you're paying it monthly similar to a subscription you're subscribing to live somewhere month by month by month. And where I'm going with
0: this is- Correct, but you're not subscribing to, you're not subscribing. Your you're landlord's more- not making anything off of you being there. Nope, but where oh, I'm going are. with this is- other than,
2: Well, other than the, the, <laughs> rent, me, like the, the
1: same The same venture capital firms that help push funding into software and tech, you now have venture capital firms that are being created that literally there's an entire neighborhood in Arizona that is now owned by venture capital and is being rented out. They have bought every single home in the area. So in the last two years, as number of new houses decreased and they realized rent was going up, right? It's like subscription fees. When you look at Netflix and everything else, it's look at the spend. If we could get into the rent basis over here, we'll just buy
2: up properties.
0: But right? you're not saying, would you like the sump pump option in the house you rented? You say, no, but they might, lower, they might
2: lower your rent if they're allowed to run ads within
0: your house. Wait, well, a digital I, billboard. Wait till your Xbox, was virtual reality Xbox headset and, and Zuckerberg eye infusion devices are just filled with ads. And it's, they already talked about Is that, that. Zuckervision? vision? <laughs> <Sucker> <laughs> vision.
1: Where, where I Where I was going with that, though, is that even on a housing sense, people are trying to get in on the subscription model, meaning... They're looking at this and saying this monthly charge that I can get is more than if I sold them the entire thing, right? If I can mm-hmm. create housing options all over the America and the more venture capital that's going in and buying it out, right? The cost of entry now to actually have home ownership has increased X, making mm-hmm. it more and more difficult to people own homes. Yeah. So there's more people out there renting. So now you
0: have- But how is capital. that different at scale? That's That's just landlord at scale. Landlord at scale. It's no sure, different. Going, though The model hasn't changed. We pay you. Pay me. I give you a place. Again, I don't rent you access to the iron that's in right. there for an extra five dollars a month. Or if you want the dishwasher or the garbage disposal, that's another three.
1: But now look at the model where when things used to be on prem, you owned hardware, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now the business model of moving to the cloud and all the services that you can buy that come with it. Like if people actually went and got themselves. An AWS account where they could go in to the AWS store, the marketplace, the Amazon marketplace store, and go on in and look at all the different services and applications and everything else you could buy. It's a subscription model.
2: That's it. I'm creating a cloud-based controlled circuit breaker so I could sell services within a house.
0: There you go. Oh, you oh you didn't pay, you didn't pay for your dishwasher. You're on scrubbing duty. <laughs> Boom. Um, <laughs> <it's, Yeah. laughs> and and you have this now that i say it's it's probably
2: somebody's already created it someone's already thinking about
0: shiny bosch dishwasher sitting there staring at you and you can't use it It, just it's it's rude like the heat button that sits there and taunts you and says in the car that goes if you had 18 more dollars a month you could use this button it's rude
2: i mean (laughs) is this really that surprising though i mean if we go back if we, if we, if we go back and we talk about American consumerism and the throwaway nature of our society and fickle that I got to keep changing, my likes today are different than my likes tomorrow. And I, am going to keep changing this mm-hmm. and I can just throw everything away. This makes complete sense, right? That I right. don't have to add, subscribe to any one thing. Cause I can change tomorrow. I can just turn oh. things on and off and capitalism just kind of caught up to that.
0: Well, admittedly, I mean, admittedly I'm doing that. You know, we do that with our soft with, with again, in software, it makes a lot more sense than in hardware, because there's not a physical asset along with it. Again, it feels like it makes a lot more sense. You know, I I buy security software and I go, you know what, it's a subscription. It's one year. If it, at the end of the year, this CDR sucks, I'm going to throw it away and I'm just going to swap it out because I can push out new software really easily. You know, that kind of thing is, you're right, in that case, it also induces competition, but who is competing in my BMW to make me a better heated seat at that point that that at that point it's just a money printer it's not enticing competitive innovation i can't swap it out for the very good mercedes uh heat seat heater and install that feature in my bmw so at at that point it's just a juice now from the from the consumer
1: side though if you're going to look at vehicles one thing that that is helpful is that it's very transparent than if ford Mercedes, BMW, and everyone is charging subscriptions to go out and be like, well, their seat heater is 24 bucks. theirs is 16, you know, it, for, for, from a consumer standpoint. But once you buy the product and what I mean by product, buy the vehicle,
0: there is you're no more in. competition there. Like you're locked in. Well, you're so, not even locked in. They're free to raise you. Guess what? The seat heater you fell in love with in the first year. Now it's $85 a month. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. Exactly. You're also talking about a high end of the market of people who are not price sensitive or aren't typically price sensitive. Um, And Eric, I think you brought up a good point on
1: SLAs too. Like when it comes to timing of either A, turning things off, selling a vehicle, if there's an upgrade or a patch or you lose functionality, how do you get your rebates? Like there's there's a lot that goes around that, right? That is managing that service. It's not as simple as just, yeah, we clicked it on, we clicked it off. It was smooth. We we made money. Maybe it is for X amount of time until you have a problem. And then when you do,
2: how you resolve that is really, really important.
0: Yeah. Service service credits when your seat heater doesn't work.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out because if you think about it. I mean, we've seen it in the past. I believe what was it years ago? I think it was windshield wiper fluid heater. Or something like that there was little heaters that were in the lines that could heat it up before it goes oh, yeah. on the windshield and i think there was a recall at one point brought them in and I, I can't remember which brand it was and that functionality was turned off because it could cause problems on the vehicle so they decided since they already built in the vehicle we can just turn them off but now if i'm paying a subscription for that feature now what happens am i getting a refund on the what if i did the dan model and i paid for it for life versus paying for it monthly it's it's going to get get very interesting with the microtransactions that happen around vehicles.
1: Or you just or buy the-
2: windshield washer
1: fluid that has a lot more chemicals in it that are really bad for the environment. That have a freezing point that's super super low. There you and go. Once it sprays off your car, you're kind of like, eh.
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, the I think the other hope is, and then we've again we've seen this in in software, and I want to move to just pure software in a second. Um, because I want to counter some of this discussion about subscriptions on the on the software side, but the the hope is, and this is this is played out in you know in in mobile devices in video games, is that the transactions are so small that people don't care if it didn't work. They're like, oh, it's five dollars. You know, what's the what's five dollars? Now there are an entire there's a large part of the population to which five dollars is extremely important. And they're not going to throw it away. So I think thinking like that is very foolish. Um, but again, especially as you get to functionality versus I just bought, you know, 800 FIFA points uh, for, use in, uh, for use in a game to buy a, a better Cristiano Ronaldo shirt. Um, it, it's a different, it's a whole different thing when the seed heater doesn't work and you live in Chicago and it's January. Um, now let, let's move over to software and i think this is and this is also where we tie it back into again into the security world
2: oh is one that what the, we're supposed
0: to be talking about Is security who knew oh um the the um you know the idea of software moving from license from bought to to license to subscription one of the underlying theories is or the under, underpinning philosophies of doing so is it creates a continuous revenue stream for the author for the for the for the software maker so that they're they continue to build and grow new features again in the physical world this makes no sense i'm you know my seat heater isn't going to get better with version three of the soft of the seat heater software uh, i'm not going to get you know now now with uh, you know left cheek focus and right cheek focus the um <laughs> you never know The, but, but in the software world, you get a whole new feature set, you get additional and, and, and if you don't, then people will likely stop paying the subscription. I like this more in terms of maintenance fees where you, you bought up to the level in which the product continued to, you know, met your expectation. Then you stop paying the serve, the annual maintenance, but you can continue to use it. Now it completely goes away. If you don't, it's a little bit more binary and I'm not as big a fan of that but the model seems to, at least in the independent software world, um, has made for faster growth and fa- or faster maturity of software because the the the, the people who are writing it um, have the revenue to be able to continue to do so. In the security world, you know, same thing. Where I want to, you know, where you have tech companies in you know that are looking for investment that look to grow those those subscription revenues do fuel their ability to grow the product and get to a point. But you do also get to a point of diminishing return, where you are no longer truly innovating in that and it's just collecting the monthly check. Um, And we see a lot of when platform and security platforms get to commodity status. I'm not really inclined to continue to pay a subscription because it's not moving forward. And all it is, is just, yeah, they're just phoning it in and we have a lot of tech that gets to that point. Um, So maybe a reduced, a reduced, you know, it's a, we're no longer innovating subscription (laughs) versus a, we're innovating subscription. I don't know.
1: I, I was going to say comment to that, like, well, yes, I agree. Um, when when you go back to buying a finished good that has software in it that can be updated, um, the the number of consumer customers that you have in the automotive world, so taking the F-150, for example, million F-150s a year, you have a big customer base to be able to turn around and gather data points back, marketing information on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis to understand what your consumers actually want which would help you drive better services if you were going to sell it. Um, When you go into the security realm, though, even though you have all of these customers, you don't have a feedback loop as continuous as you would from the marketing data, right? Because it almost goes back to some of that privacy information that you're gathering on people, right? That you don't necessarily have from your customer base and security, nor would you be allowed to gather certain information without actually talking to the customer or giving the customer, the customer giving you their feedback in terms of what things they want to see in a product. Cause this goes back to people building roadmaps and everything else. I read something I thought was very interesting and it came from, I think it was the CTO of PepsiCo. And I believe it was, she said, I I, I'm always willing to sit down and listen to a new technology or have a company explain their new technology to me. But to all you startups out there, especially the young ones, learn the difference between presenting to a VC in a business. Yes, Because a VC is investing in the fact that years down the road, you're going to be successful in your vision. While I care about your vision, that's not why I met with you today. I
0: need you successful today. today.
1: Yeah, I met with you today to understand the fundamental problem you're going to solve for me today. Focus on that. And maybe a month down the road, I'd like to understand where you're going further. If I think that fundamentally, the problem you solve today is that significant. And I thought that was very important, because this goes back to when we talk about feedback loop, the services that you're offering, what is the actual value today, right?
2: Yeah. And I mean, I'll go back to, since I apparently I'm part of a book club, Crossing the Chasm is exactly that. Yes. And and it's talking about that you have to market differently to different people, depending on where you are in the cycle, right? And that's exactly what she's pointing out, that you have to understand the different audiences, what they're looking for and what they need to be able to buy into where they are to positively impact what they need. So because I know there's certain people that don't listen to our podcast, Eric, Wait, there I,
0: are? I thought everybody I, did.
1: I bought I, that book for some marketing people in a company I worked for
2: uh, previously. Nice. Uh, and no, they did not read it. I, I mean, there's, I think there is an opportunity to take that and rewrite an adaptation of it. As we've talked about on the podcast, on just looking at from the, the standpoint of a salesperson, right, that depending on who you're talking to, what vertical you're talking to is very different on how your approach to number one, get in the door but let alone the conversation that you actually have, not to mention thinking about it, it also depends geographically, right? If you're talking to a a CISO on the East coast versus Midwest versus the West coast, very, very different the way we look at things.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'll extend this now as as a hiring manager, I extend this to students and people looking for jobs too. You talk different, you, you need to, you need to, Focus your communication, know your audience. Right. Know your audience, adapt to your audience. You don't talk to a hiring manager the same way you talk to your friends.
2: 100%. Oh, well, that's, that's, I've always, I mean, for those that are looking to, to get a job, I've always said that, you know, it's one of the worst reading material out there, but a 10k is a great place to look, to understand what a company actually cares about. Yeah. They don't, <laughs> I mean, more, the, the majority of us have to write them just because it, it's, it's the rules, Right. Uh, but there is a lot of effort that goes in there to explaining what the risks are, what the company is looking at. Take the time.
0: Especially in the security world because now those are showing up in 10K. And in about to and grow. 10 filings,
1: yeah. <laughs> no, all great points. So anyways, I wanted to put it out there and that little tidbit because I think it's important is from, from the security side, software side, tech side, not just evaluating product when you buy product for those that are selling product, how you explain what the true value of your product is. Right. Cause at the end of the day, the person who's buying it really has to either a believe it's solving a fundamental problem, right. Or saving a certain amount of, of spend and right. still solving the fundamental problem they were solving before. But
2: well, looking at it from the different perspective, I think there's a debate to be had at some point on the viewpoint on, what is covered in my maintenance? What are my expectations of the evolving nature of the product versus what am I okay with you trying to sell me as a feature that's being added on or a new module or something along those lines that there is no clear line there.
0: Right. And yeah, at what point do you go, this has grown and this has evolved into something big enough that we've now crossed a line. And this, I mean, being in, in, in the software world, this conversation happens all the time. We've grown it to this, is this now its own saleable feature, is its own saleable product, its own saleable feature. Um, and, but generally you don't, you, 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 you look at who's already using it, who's evolved and helped you get there. Uh, do, you, do you grandfather it in for existing people? You can't do right. that so much with a seat heater but you can, but you can with you can with software. So there's a lot more nuance uh, in the software world, and you can say, you know, all right, the people who are already using this, or um, there was uh, you, laugh, you this... laugh
2: about the seat heater, but you know that's coming. There's going to be a beta ring of individuals that are on that inside track. that oh, are yeah. able to test it and see if it's any good, and you're going to get grandfathered in.
0: But it's not as the but but there's, it's a slightly different analogy. The analogy is you bought the car before we made seat heater into a. Uh, into a subscription. You continue to use the seat heater because you had it in the old. Now we think seat heater, version 4.0, the software evolution since the we saw, we sold the car, um, is is now good enough to be its own saleable subscription. So if you already had seat heater and you've been with us since the original, you can continue to use it. But seat heater 4.0, if you're subscribing, if you're buying the car now from let's say you know February onward, uh, now you have to pay the subscription and you have this dual class. Um, I would actually, the one place I would, I would say that this would this would work, and I guess it's a bad example because BMW did this too, is in in-car entertainment because car, in, in-car entertainment moves at the pace of, you know, biblical tablets and chiseling to get new software updates for those or to get any kind of features added. Honestly, I think if some of my old cars got... New features. I would gladly give a hundred dollars once, not subscription, to say please add modern features to my car that is two years old and still looks like it's from 1972 on the
1: Incarnate Entertainment. So, Dan, Dan, and Eric, do you know the biggest similarity though between a seat heater and some of the sas security products out there?
0: They both get me hot in
1: the ass. Well, I was gonna say. <laughs> when they, when they fail they typically burn your ass <laughs> oh
0: yeah
2: <laughs> oh, epic
1: <laughs> well, but the difference being that the seat heater, though if you only paid for a monthly subscription you can turn it off with a saas product the guy tried selling it to you for a 3 year subscription and when it burnt your
0: butt <laughs> yeah well okay so now so now yeah the yeah, the idea i bought I should be careful cuz i'm on the vendor side and i'm really enjoying this part of the company. <laughs> maybe this is an indicator <laughs> It's a canary. I don't know.
2: I, I This whole model, I mean, just thinking about it as we're thinking about playing this, playing out and how we've traditionally bought software and seen features rolled out in the enterprise space. Though, I, I just see so many problems ahead, right? That as we look at this on a per feature basis, you're like, okay, but now as we start looking about the interoperability of different features that start to introduce bugs. And we are talking about, a lot of
0: code running on these cars. I took a class in college, one of my favorite math and comp sci classes of combinatorics. The combinations, the, 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 the different permutations of things. Oh my God, and every one of those introduces the, the chance for, for, you know, I switch this one off and this one on. Look at operating systems. Operating systems, modern operating systems are filled with these kinds of issues. Because, right. and this is before you put on any functionality, because you have all of these switches and options that go on. Um, No, I think you're absolutely right. I
1: I also thought an interesting read was that companies that allow, and I I also should be careful saying this too, but companies that allow. But I won't. (laughs) Companies that allow vendors, right? Like to say that they're customers, right? And it's important for us as vendors to be able to say like, well, this person's a customer and they're happy, right? But now imagine, and just pick a company, right? A company ABC, right? actually there is a company called ABC Corp. So XYZ company, right? Bought five products where they told every one of the companies just to get a better deal that, yeah, feel free to put us on your website and we'll we'll be willing to- Yeah, the marketing discount. Account. Now imagine though, just because for those of you that in Dan great recommendation have read uh, this is how they tell me the world ends yeah. that in the zero day market and you're selling zero days. If one of the researchers said, you know, it would be a really good combination. I'm going to go out and figure out a bug zero day for a combination of these three products, these two security products in this operating system. Right. Because it's my point of entry, right? My my initial point of entry, if I can get by this, then can I sit there long enough? And this operating system seems to be plentiful. If you could develop that, and although it sounds like, well, Brian, you're talking about two to three zero days, and that's you know a, a mammoth undertaking, a team of five, six people working together for a year, that would be worth a good hunk of change. When you consider that certain zero days were going for a hundred, two hundred thousand $200,000 or even more, right? So what you were just saying about when you combine this on top of this, on top of this, this software, this software, this software, right? And the dependencies, it becomes the chess game. After X number of moves, it almost becomes exponential. Absolutely.
0: And um, now later on, there's also the opportunity for, I won't use the word malfeasance, but I think for opportunistic guiding of people to buy certain things in certain combinations because the complexity of your of your 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 subscription capability is so high. Um, there are companies and I think we can all picture one in in particular who like to sell licenses with numbers at the end and you get the one or the three or the five or the this or the a of the plus 75 and with names an that are 93 or words F long. Or, and yeah. you get to this you hit this point and you don't own this piece of the subscription Oh, and by the way, it, you buy these nine others with it. And it. it, it, it I think it's just, it, it has turned into In not individual. So now we move beyond the seat heater, but now it's the package. When you, If you want to buy the seat heater subscription, you also have to buy the Sundry subscription, which by the way has been installed, but you can't open it unless you pay $19 a month. Um, and the, the, the modern... 1985 era in car entertainment. Those are the package. And you, if you want the seat heater, you got to buy all three. This is happening already in security. You, know, you want this package with the one or the three or the five, and you got to add this on. But if you add this on, you also have to add these well, four things on because they're incompatible. And this is also a factor of the complexity of these kind of combinations combined with artificial subscription.
2: In all fairness, so that's already happening in the automotive yeah. market today. I mean, oh. if you look at different packages, and if I add this package, therefore, it's got to add this option because oh. the, the cascading effect. Like, aside from it's the outrageous. seed eater,
0: those three choices weren't random, Eric.
2: Yeah. No, no, I get it. What it so what, what I love about this whole it. thing is there's going to be a whole new car market that's about to pop up after this. It's going to be the jailbroken car.
0: Oh, yeah. That's, oh, I mean, from the people it's who brought you, chip your ECUs. It's, you know, it, it, and, you know, get an extra, get an extra fuel rich. Uh, and is it illegal? Is it illegal? It, that That's gonna be
2: an, I want to see that play. Out. I can't wait to see that play out in the courts.
1: It's already there in gas mileage. And yeah. in Japan, when you own a vehicle after, I think it's the first year or second year, you have to take it in to be evaluated. Yeah. And if it doesn't meet certain evaluations, like spec wise in terms of um, pollutants, et cetera, you get fined and you have to fix now, in North America, you don't have that. I, I think know in so certain much.
2: states, I think certain states
1: still have those. It's usually when
0: you those sell things. or it's emissions, it's not based yeah. on config. Um, but, yeah. but,
1: they do, but they're not going in and testing it. Like in the state of Michigan, they don't go in and test what your emissions are every year to two years, right? Like I own a car for five years, then sold it to somebody else. We just simply sold it. Now, I have a very close friend that literally just bought a big diesel truck and took it to somebody to reprogram the computer to get an extra 10 miles per gallon. He goes, but I know that thing's spewing out twice as much as it was before.
0: Right. And in states like Illinois, you know, we had air team and you'd go and get, um, you'd have to go get checked at year three and then year five and you know, something like that. So, um, but yeah. I was was just searching on
2: that. So Michigan got rid of it around 1995.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I expected it.
2: Why would they do that, Eric? I don't want to explore that one publicly.
0: (laughs) This is going to be out of the air. (laughs) The, um, (laughs) yeah,
2: (laughs) the fifth, Uh, I guess the fifth wouldn't be appropriate there, but yeah.
0: And we'll leave that one open to thought. Please She's tell us adventure. what you think yeah. <laughs> why Michigan got rid of emissions. Yeah. Put them in the comments below. Um, right. <laughs> no, but Eric, keep going on like the, the, the combinations. Oh.
1: Cause you said like, that's already been there. Do you see the same thing on the security side? And I, I know Dan was alluding to someone that has numbers at the end of their name. And I mean, that was the first no, one. The I, of their I but, but I see this playing out more and more. And this goes right back to, I think more to the street and the stock price and the more value you can show that you're willing to offer. And the more SKUs you have, then goes right back into what you were saying is, well, I need this, but you're telling me to get that. I have to get this, this, and this now.
2: Yeah. Which, which is interesting, right? Cause I could definitely see it from the streets perspective. And I I think you guys know where I stand on that. Um, But I think from a consumer position, that now we're getting into options theory and it becomes very problematic. And you've seen some companies that it's specifically in the security space that have snapped back, right? Like I'll call out F5. Sure, you can do the a la carte, but most of it now are bundles where they've, I think it's a good, better, best or something. Like that. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm getting my car washed with an F5, um, but it's all bundled in different bands. So I sim- simply, that yeah, simplistically to your answer, or to your question, is it gonna happen? Yes. I think it is going to happen that we're going to, they're going to be forced bundles, not only from a monetary and revenue perspective though, but I think certain security companies are going to make the decision early on that. I want to sell this as a feature and then realize when they start selling it as a feature that there is a certain level of liability in sending a, selling a certain module on its own that without the existence of something else, isn't quite as effective. So they're not going to be able to live up to some of the marketing terms.
1: That's another great point. It's living up to what you're saying, what you're marketing goes back to the hype, right? Like we're gonna solve we solve all of this. really, but you have to buy all of this
0: and so by the way do you, do you already
1: own this and this?
0: <laughs> yeah, so yeah. are you a triple A member because we can give you five percent off <laughs> if you are. <laughs> Yeah, and like, if you
2: happen to have a BMW and are paying the subscription for the heated seat, we'll give you a discount on your security tools over here. <laughs> It'd be amazing
1: if, like, it was like hotel codes, right? Where it's like, "Hey, Eric, you got that code for F five? Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, do you do you want the this code or this one?" Right? We're going want- back
2: to the the era of serial generators for for applications.
1: Yeah, well, let me
0: type that code in and see. Oh, you're right. That gets a better discount right now. But, I'm going go with that one. Well, let's, let's talk about, though. The, no, go ahead, Eric. And then let's I was talk say, about the legalities that, of this. We do that with vehicles
2: today, right? I mean, I remember when I owned my first A4 that you could buy the adapter, hook it up to your computer, and I was flipping codes on it because when it came over, a European car or anything coming over from Europe in the U.S. market, they were turning certain features off, and they were just binary codes that I, as long as you knew where to look that you could set. I think that's going to happen with some of the software as well. I mean, that gets into the jailbroken car market,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. No, without question. <laughs> There's, uh, and, and let's talk about the jailbroken car. <laughs> let's talk about the fact, the, you know, the idea that is, you know, is hacking which is effectively what you're doing, is hacking into a piece of code, even if it's not in the cloud, it's not on somebody else's server, but on your car against the law, or is it not? The jailbreaking discussion on, again, I keep picking up the mobile phone, I think is a harbinger and a canary for that whole set of discussions on a very different scale when it comes to unlocking my seat heater.
1: Eric, if, so- if, if you were hacking though, hacking, you essentially be writing additional code. There's breaking into, and then there's hacking into if you're writing additional code, couldn't you say that you're offering more value, right? <laughs> I, mean, I, I am services. writing additional code. I am offering more value than I bought. Sure. Now breaking into it, what's the line of breaking into versus I'm writing additional code to make it better?
2: Yeah, so that this, this becomes interesting because I think if we look at it in terms, so without me taking a stance yet on this, that if we look at vehicles as they are today and looking back, breaking into a car, changing codes, the worst that could happen, right? So, you know, I had an Audi that you could flash the ECU, what did it do? Avoided warranty. Fine. The OEM took the stance that said, hey, this is the code that we're going to support, that if you want to have our warranty, our backing to support the parts, you have to run this. If you change it, that's on you, so be it. But now we're entering this whole era of delineated ownership, of the vehicle that I almost feel like we're coming into to lines of demarcation here. And well, you, the consumer, yes, you did buy this car, but really we're gonna ring fence this. You own these parts of the car, but when it comes to any feature that we wanna sell you because we, we want your revenue stream, now that we're gonna retain ownership of that. And if you start to hack into that, well, now you're hacking our company. You, that's our product. Well, this is gonna be real step, interesting.
0: Take it one step further and say you don't own the car. You are licensed to use the car. The whole but car are is a, a subscription movie. model. Well, yeah, but you buy it. Well, no, no, no. Take the take the iTunes movie model. I'm not subscribing to my twenty four ninety nine copy of of it's a great time to die or no. What's the the, the Bond movie? <laughs> um, yeah. uh, or or you know, Spider Man, yeah. No Way Back to Earth. And and, <laughs> and, and and but I bought it, bought it. But at the end of the day, I don't own it. I bought yeah, an unlimited license to use it. The difference here, though, wow, this is this is oh, Wait, right? is it hardware or software? It yeah, that it's a tangible asset. I don't think it is. I mean, I think what... I think it falls. I think I can see us heading in that same direction. Here's... Here, here's the
2: difference that I would say, though, because if I look at iTunes, I buy a video, it's portable, right? No matter where I go with iTunes and I log in, I now own that video, fine. Now Until we're talking about a vehicle.
0: to exist, and then you rebu- have to rebuy it.
2: Sure, sure. But I in this case, I have now bought a physical asset that you're licensing me a feature. That feature is not portable. It doesn't go with me. That feature is only good for this vehicle that happens to have this module that is remotely controllable. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a bit different. It's not fully apples to apples. And I I think for the OEMs to make the claim that they own the digital right to something I physically hold and I'm paying for, I I think it's going to be tough.
0: Let's go.
1: Can I go one step further with you? Um, So let's say you have, you know, level three autonomous vehicle, maybe level four in the coming years. But. Level three autonomous vehicle, there's certain functions of the autonomous part of the vehicle that have not ownership, but ownership from a failure standpoint by the liability, right? So there's liability there. If you go into the vehicle and try to change some software and by accident, or for some reason affect that autonomous portion, and now let's go to you're in the car, you're driving. Oh, that's funny. Cause Kelly's sneaking downstairs there in the back. Um, if you're driving and for some reason that autonomous feature doesn't work, right. And you end up in an accident and they go back in and say, Hey, who's at fault. Who's at fault now. It's not us. Like, yeah, we're responsible for at this level three for these actions, but you played with it. You're liable now, not us. That's a big one because That's where lives are at stake. It's not just about, oh, you got a a free movie service or, oh, you got free heated seats, right? And
2: Right. Well, and I mean, you think about your equations to do recalls or a software update now are going to completely change, right? Because you go back to the SLA is that it's now, well, it could cause a problem in these vehicles, but if we do push this change, we're going to lose this subscription service. It's, I don't know. But this but is, now let's compare that to
1: security, which at the end of the day, they can come in on the automotive side and say, yeah, you changed this. Or at the end of the day, your level three, let's say you didn't change anything and the level three function didn't work and somebody died, right? They're liable. Right. When you buy some of the products that are supposed to protect your, your facility, there's certain SLAs that are to be met, right? For this, that, and the other when those don't get met and something happens, that could be catastrophic, whether it's for six hours, whether it's for two hours or whether it's for a week, right? And how it impacts a facility. Right. How do you, how do you hold the vendor responsible? And I, I, I'm cautious in saying this because I'm on the vendor side, right? But the more you think about it, like there is a crash and burn level to owning software
2: when it fails. This is an interesting one to debate on the fly, right? <laughs> this one's almost it gets, its own. It gets, yeah, it gets so deep, right? As, you know, as I look at vehicle, from a vehicle's perspective, liability comes back to known knowns, right? We know, you know, if you go to, I mean, we're almost getting to P FEMA, right? That we could go through and figure out all of the different ways the vehicle could fail right? It's easy. But I feel like as we're talking about security, there's so much variability into it. There's a lot of unknown unknowns and it's hard to push liability on unknown unknowns outside of the realm of proving gross negligence. Say in the, in the case of Uber,
1: right? But that isn't coming back to product. I mean, the the fact that they're singling out an individual within a company to hold certain levels of liability
2: and again, that goes to a whole other level of conversation. But yeah, and some of this, I mean, some of this is going to come back to the reasonable expectations on what you, as an OEM, have marketed to the consumer, on what the reasonable expectation is on the service that you're delivering, and if it delivered that service or if it protected. I mean, if we get about get through autonomous, somebody's going to have to answer the question: Isn't it reasonable to expect that it operated within these conditions? right and then we're getting into is it a known known or are we going to say that this is an outlier that there's no way that anybody could have reasonably foreseen this type of condition that rendered the vehicle inoperable at this moment it's going to be very interesting
1: that these are the tough parts that to go back and investigate it's the, imagine when there's a crash right at a stoplight They normally have that area shut down for an hour, maybe two hours, a little longer if somebody lost their life. But it's get in there, we got pictures, we're going to pull, clean it up, get traffic moving again, right? Essentially, that's very similar to what happens in your environment, right? You, when something goes down, it's clean it up, get operations back running again, and then go in and figure out what happened. The difficulty there is sometimes, like you said, that could take weeks months depending on the level of the the attack and this is more sophisticated getting into like the stuxnet style where it's years right before figuring it out i mean by that time liability and everything else i go back to even in the book the gentleman from i think it was a swiss-based company that was arrested in iran and told that he was a spy and he was like i'm not a spy i i i work for a blah 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 company and he was held and questioned and and so forth and finally released but a year later he finds out that his company was complicit with the u.s government in allowing back doors right like but it took that amount of time of investigation so and where i'm going with this is when you look at software and when something happens or something bad happens sometimes the the ability to go back
2: investigate it takes much longer than- Oh, it's gonna be extremely tough. It's it's so nuanced. But I, I think some of it, I mean, as as we look at the comparative between the two examples, right? Take the, the stop sign. There is where's the onus placed, right? From an OEM perspective, I sold you a car, the expectation is your car is in operable conditions, right? So outside of your brakes going out because they didn't have the lifespan, something went wrong with them. The onus is now on you to operate that vehicle within the confines of the rules of the road, wherever you are. So in the case that you hit somebody sitting at a stop sign, you violated those rules. You weren't paying attention, you're at fault. But I think as we swing this over to security, that the majority, the majority, not all, of software providers in the security space are not telling you that they are 100% gonna stop everything that's coming through, right? Now, I have seen those claims, so I feel like the onus there is on me to have, and this is where we're getting into mitigating controls. And in the absence of mitigating controls, therefore I am negligent for not going through the process of under, and you know, again, this is getting into, it's, it's almost P FEMA that I have to look at the operating conditions where this technology fails and I have to have other on underlying technologies, controls, processes that can pick up for those failures. You have to expect failure.
1: Yeah, people in the software world would be blown away to know that the customers in automotive, because there's only 20, 30 OEs globally that you work with, right? And then you're a supplier. When you're shipping parts to them, and like you were going into P-FEMA, right? And before that, then the D-FEMA when you're designing. If you're being held to a quality level that you're, if you want to call it an SLA, is going to be less than 1% quality problem comes down to like, sometimes they want like 0.05, right? And you're like, out of X number, that's only like, I can only have one bad part a week. You know, like, well, we want you to have zero. Your PPM should be zero. We'll allow five PPM, right? And you're like, and some people are like, that's impossible, but you, because it's your customer, you work to that level to get to that, right which means, The customer only wants to see five ppm on your line, you may be pulling off and having five to ten percent fallout, right? Just because you're trying to adhere to your customer, and that's putting customer first. And I saw and we've talked about the Toyota Way and so forth. But when you have customer first, then kaizen and go down there, Genshi Kambootsu is number four and keep going down the list. If software applied the same principles, right, of We're really going to try to target, whether you call it a PPM, um, and this goes back to vulnerabilities as well when you're designing software, honing that in, making it tighter. And I don't know the best way to do that because subscriptions need to come out faster and faster. You need to build revenue faster and faster. The street wants you to do it. So you're doing things
2: fast. Right. But uh, All right. So soapbox moment, right? Delineating between a manufacturing, a line and producing a product and security process. I think there is a big difference, right? Because as we're talking about manufacturing a process, that as we talk about PPM, that it's all about controlling different variables on the line. This is why the introduction of- Yeah, and this is why Six Sigma is so great in a linear process. You're doing the same thing every single time. So you can start taking out the variability. Therefore, you can cut down your PPM to whatever percentage that you're, you're looking for on the security side. Could you imagine if I went to an email provider and said, I'm going to hold you to, you know, half a percent of bad email. All right. Define for me. What, what is a bad email? Is that did you have to go to 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 email? Right. Did
1: you have, I actually,
2: I think, I actually, (laughs) sorry, sorry, I think, I think email providers have it. One of the hardest jobs in the security space because it's changed. It is so hard. Now they've, gotten tremendously better over time to define what is a good email versus a bad email any in
0: particular
2: (laughs) (laughs) specifically the company you work for i think is actually one of the best places for this just to to give that plug um which is it's cool to see that that space evolving but security there's elements to it that are linear right if i look at the incident response process i know there are certain elements there's a certain process i'm going to check off But as we get into the sub elements of how I'm figuring out how this attack actually played out, what they're after, the different techniques they're using, it becomes exponential on the different types of techniques that could be used. So with that many variables that I can no longer control, there's no way that I can upstream hold a vendor to that same level of expectation of a PPM for a linear process.
1: And I 100%, I do agree with that. But if we looked at, though, the process of designing the software itself, and from a vulnerability standpoint. Yes, that I agree with. Yeah. If we pulled yep. the vulnerabilities in and said each vulnerability represented one PPM, you know, part per million, let's say, right. right? And then how are we doing? Let's judge ourselves on that. But the toughest part about that is, and this goes right back, though, to manufacturing, you really don't know what your PPM is unless the part's actually found, Right. Parts, bad parts get through, right? They might not even get picked up by the customer. So it's not considered
2: a bad quality part. The so same if a tree in two, falls in the woods and nobody hears it. Did it really fall? <laughs>
1: exactly. Right. But the I, same there, PPM and vulnerabilities, you don't know you have a vulnerability until it's found. But in those times where they're being found, because we would say the same thing about, you know, pick a customer, Nissan Toyota. Like anytime there was like a JD powers going on, all of a sudden our quality issues spiked. Why? Cause they had 30 more people on the line looking for more problems so that they could show they were making better vehicles, right? And it's like all of a sudden our PPM went shooting up and it's like, what happens? like, oh, that plant's going through JD Powers, right? And it's like, okay, so we, do we really have bad quality or are we just, but, but anyways, that's besides the point. But the same thing happens though, I think in the software space is there's certain times where when new products launched, vulnerability researchers come out of the woodwork to investigate the heck out of it. And you see this spike of vulnerabilities, right? It's very similar in that, right? In the essence that you're not going to find all of them. But when you see those spikes in PPM, you need to take that back to the dev team, right? This isn't so much you as the customer, but going back to the dev team and saying, hey, here's the number of vulnerabilities we have seen, right? We're seeing an uptick. We really need to go back. And actually Microsoft, I thought, did a good job of this when they did, I think it was their, Microsoft or Google, they they were doing pre-release where they had created a network of vulnerability researchers that they brought as a team where they were going to get paid. And Beta put it out there. And they were able to reduce down the number of vulnerabilities massively, right? But you don't have those teams of people for everything you're doing. And with the number of software companies, not everybody's Microsoft. And back to Dan's point, you start layering on all the different software you're buying, but only one or two of the companies have such programs to find vulnerabilities. Really, are all these other companies just got the best developers in the world and never have a vulnerability? That's the scary part.
0: But if I'm paying subscription services, I expect that they should all have that level of scrutiny because I'm paying for continuous high level of not just innovation, but support. And unfortunately, we have come, unfortunately, to the end of another episode of Brian and Eric's ISO 9001 Quality Fun Hour. (laughs) Now- (laughs) We'll be back again, I promise, for another hour of riveting PFEMA and DFEMA action uh, with a little security thrown in too. Uh, thank you for joining us in all, in all seriousness. Um, yeah, subscriptions I think are, uh, are a continuing hot topic Apparently, both in the physical and in, and in the security world, uh, and we want your feedback. Uh, please let us know what you think. Let, what are your comments? If you have comments on the topic, I wasn't joking in the episode. Put them in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening, send them to us. Send them to us. Feedback at greatsecuritydebate.net. <laughs> we also are available on YouTube. Go search for Great Security Debate. We're on Twitter at security debate, and you can always find all of our past episodes in your favorite podcast application or on our website, www.greatsecuritydebate.net. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again on the next Great Security Debate.